Everybody wants challenge. Sometimes we feel like we don't want challenge and we find ourselves in a challenging situation. A couple of weeks ago, I was doing a, a wedding out in Suffolk. It was at the, the Planters Club. I had never been there before. I really didn't know exactly how to get there. I had a general idea. I had a map. I had the thing working on my phone that tells you, you can go this way, you can go that way. And I was, I was navigating the way out there. But when I finally got close, uh, the roads got narrower and narrower and narrower and it started to look more country and more country and more country and the signs got, got less and less and less. And I find myself in this, in this tiny town called Driver. And I'd never heard of Driver. How many people have heard of Driver? How many people, you have heard of this place? How many people have been to Driver? Oh, look at this. You guys are all way ahead of me. I'd never been to Driver before. There's not much in driver. You could drive right through driver and, and not even know you were driven through driver. Uh, you had to, so, so I'm there and I, I decide this, it's time to ask for directions. It's just time to stop. I know I'm close and I don't want to miss it. You know, brides have this funny way of they really like me to be there. I think they like me to be there more than the guy because we can still do the wedding if the guy's not there. We can pronounce him husband and wife. I sign the paper, the guy's done. He's married. Okay, he doesn't. <laughs> Once I sign the paper, it's over. So the bride really likes for me to be there. So there's this little country store and driver. And it looks like something out of the wild, wild west. And if you get up to those doors, those doors are ready to fall off. And you walk in and there's wood on the floor and, and there's stuff that's been there a hundred years that they haven't sold yet and they're still hoping that somebody's going to buy it. You know, and what's scary is that some of it is like candy and, uh, you know, and they have old milk bottles and little antique -y things that you can buy. So I, I asked the guy at the cash register, real old cash register, I said, you know, I'm going to the planners club. Am I like close? He goes, oh, it's easy. And I don't, that always worries me when a guy says it's easy. And he goes, you go down here, and then you're going to turn left, and you're going to follow that road. And you're going to see something. It'll be like a big tree, and then you'll see just over there in the distance. I said, okay, thanks. So I wandered around. I bought a bottle of water. And then I walked out those doors onto the porch. And when I walked out those doors onto the porch, never, I feel like I'm on the other side of the world. Obviously, I'm not, because you all know where it is. Where it is. But for me, I'm like on the other side of the world. And I'm standing there and I'm going, ah, I just don't know if I'm going to get there. I could get lost. And this guy, two guys sitting on a bench. And the guy says, are you the pastor of Spring Branch Community Church? <laughs> I said, yeah. He goes, what are you doing out here? I said, I'm doing a wedding out here. I said, he goes, Planters Club? I say, yeah, but I'm really not sure how to get there. He looks at his buddy. He goes, you want to take him? <laughs> now I'm worried. I could end up like in a hole in the ground, like somewhere beyond driver, you know. Um, you want to take him? So I say, yeah, okay. Turns out they jump on these motorcycles, and we start heading down the road, and I get a motorcycle escort to the wedding, which was great, you know, because when you come into this place, you know, it's set up really beautiful. Here, the, you're going to see the guys in a second. It's right on the river there. Here are the motorcycle guys. Okay, and then here's, here's, the, here's the setting. Um, it was just beautiful, beautiful, beautiful setting. Uh, 
but you know, I'm, I'm in the middle of this challenge. I got to get there. Sometimes when you can't help yourself get there, God sends motorcycles. <laughs> God helps you get there. And that's part of the challenge. Part of the challenge is you got to get out there and then you have to trust God that he's going to get you the rest of the way. Now, now I went on to do the, the wedding. And one of the interesting things that happened at the wedding was that this was challenging. The cake fell over. This cake, oh yeah, there it is. You know, here I am taking pictures of it. Uh, <laughs> the cake fell over. They, sent, they called the woman who had the biggest arms. She had been working out for her whole life, you know, waiting for a moment when they would need her to lift the cake. Uh, and, and, but what was interesting is the cake, I, I looked at the cake and I thought, that cake looks like it's leaning. You know, a couple minutes later, boom, it was gone. And, but the challenge now was they had this, the women's SWAT team. This is only part, it's only part, there are no men around here. The men, the men are having a meeting. If the cake falls over, is the wedding invalid? You know, the men are having a meeting over there, but they're smoking cigars. But the cake fell over, what does that mean? So, but the, the women jump in, you know, they're all over this because now this is the challenge to them. Everybody needs a challenge. The challenge now is to get this cake back up. So they get the cake back up. You know, it, it, it's not looking that great, but it is up. It is up. They called in Aunt B. You see Aunt B there? They called her in. Somehow they got her on the 1-800-AMP-B line. Okay, and then when the cake was finished, they actually lowered it down. They said, let's not take a chance. It goes over again. Okay, but, you know, life is full of challenges. Cakes are falling over. You need a motorcycle escort. Everybody is going to be in a challenge. And the truth is, the truth is, you need challenges. Challenges make you come alive. Challenges allow God to come in at a certain point when you can't do anything and, and you're dead in the water unless he's there. And so today I want to talk to you about how everybody needs a challenge as we begin this study in First and Second Thessalonians. And, and these next four weeks are just like a flat out Bible study. We're going to look at uh, all of chapter one today and a little bit of chapter two. Uh, next week, Adam's going to be talking about everybody needs love. Uh, then we're going to talk about everybody needs heaven and everybody needs significance. And you, you can learn a lot by just listening to what a man named Paul wrote about faith and life. Right around the time Jesus was born, a couple in a city named Tarsus, had a little baby boy. And that was their, their challenge. They named him Saul. Later on, he would be called Saul of Tarsus. Tarsus was a, a great commercial city. And the people who lived there had a lot of challenges. There was a lot of work to be done. Uh, it was a great place to, to live and to work and to have a business because people made a lot of money. It was a a crossroads kind of a place. There was a river there, so commerce was coming through all the time. People there were wealthy. There were about, estimates have it, at about 200,000 inhabitants. And it was just a, a good old place to live, a good old place to, to bring up your kids. And here 
this little guy named Saul is learning about faith and life. He is, he is steeped in Judaism. He is steeped in what it really means to follow the ways of Moses and the laws of Moses and to know who Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were and to know all the stories. And, and this is his life. There was a great university there in Tarsus too. One of the greatest in, in the ancient world. And so people were, were going to school and they were taking classes and, and they were expanding their, their understandings of life and, and this world that we live in. And so this little kid named Saul was, was expanding his world too. He was a bright child. And so his mother and father wanted him to continue to explore theological education. So at some point he got to go to Jerusalem and he studied under one of the great rabbis in that first century time. So he just got wiser and wiser, expanding his mind. And, and he was just so set on the fact that, that his way, the way of his family, the way that he was brought up, the traditions of his, his friends and neighbors, this is the way to live. This is the right way to live. There is no, there is no other option. This is it. The truth has been revealed to us. There's one God, and that God a long time ago spoke to Moses through a burning bush, and, and I'm going to lock in on that, and I'm going to follow that, and that is what I'm giving my life to. And he became more powerful, and he, he became more politically oriented, and, uh, and he ended up in the early days of the Christian church being one of the persecutors of that church. Let me take you to the book of Acts briefly uh, at the end of chapter 7 going into chapter 8. It says, while they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. In other words, he died. And Saul was there giving approval to his death. Why? Because he was smart and he was bright and he had studied everything. And, and you know, God couldn't have shown up on the planet as a personal human being, as somebody you could talk to, as somebody who could tell stories. And God couldn't show up. That's not the way it is. And then something happened to Saul. It's recorded in Acts chapter 9. And you have to understand this part of the story or you don't understand anything else that Paul ever wrote. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, in other words, who were following Jesus, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up 
and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. And from that moment, everything in his life was shifting. Everything that he knew was up for grabs. His, his whole life direction was now 180 out the other way. And you have to understand that it was on that road in that moment that God gave Paul this amazing challenge to take the message of Jesus Christ to the entire known world at the time. Uh, Paul was, as we would say, he was the man. You know, God, God picked him. One of the reasons God picked him was because his family had Roman citizenship. And with Roman citizenship, you could go anywhere you wanted. You just had to say you're a Roman citizen or maybe there was some kind of a paper that you had with you. Uh, and, and so he was free to go anywhere. So God chooses this totally learned Jew, this, this Roman citizen, this man who's got a tremendous amount of, of drive and motivation. He says, I pick you for the challenge of your life. There's a quote on the sports page the other day, and it stopped me. I've learned that facts don't matter. Facts are an inconvenient impediment to the endless stream of conjecture and blather. I, I, I read that, and then I read it again, and And I looked at it again, and I tore it out, and I put it in my pocket, and I said, this is the kind of world that we live in. I've learned that facts don't matter. Facts are an inconvenient impediment to the endless stream of conjecture and blather. And it's always been that way. It's not just like that today. And it's not just like that in sports. It's like that everywhere. But the facts are important. The facts are life and death. And God said to a man that would be called Paul, facts matter, Paul. The facts about who I am and who Jesus is and will always be matter so much that I want you to give the rest of your life to this challenge so that everybody in this known world that, that is the center of the universe right now, everybody from Jerusalem to Rome, knows that I showed up on the planet. The God who created the universe showed up in the person of Jesus Christ. That's the facts, Paul. And you're going to take that, and that's your challenge. And so Paul says, I'll take that challenge. He writes this letter that we call First Thessalonians. Paul, Silas, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace to you. We always thank God for all of you, mentioning you in our prayers. We continually remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply with words, 
but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and with deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord in spite of severe suffering. You welcomed the message with joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. And as you, as you hear these words, you realize this, this great heart that Paul has for these people. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. God had given Paul this challenge and Paul had transferred the challenge to these people and they were getting the job done. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. And I would encourage you to, to read these letters with us as we move through over the next four weeks, these very intimate, very personal communications from, from Paul to these friends at Thessalonica. Because as you read them, and, and read them as, as just you would read a letter. That's how Paul wrote it. He didn't write it in chapters, and he didn't make breaks in it, put little headings in it. It was just, I'm writing out of my heart and out of what I know about you and what God has taught me. This is the truth. These are the facts, and they really matter. There's some themes that uh, come through these letters, and, and we're going to talk about some of these themes this morning. We continually remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Faith, love, hope. Themes in, in Paul's writings. Faith, hope, love. Theme number one, everybody wants challenge. The Christian challenges are to produce something tangible from faith, to raise your level of compassion, and commit to the long, slow pull. These challenges are based on who Jesus was and is. To produce something tangible from faith, to raise your level of compassion, and commit to the long, slow pull. In 2007, Michelle Ree took over as chancellor of the D.C. school system. And the D.C. school system was, was in complete disarray. Um, hardly anybody was at you know, reading level or math level, and, and literacy was at a very low percentage. It was like in the teens, 14, 15% of kids were able to, to read at their grade level. Uh, and, and she had resisted taking that job. Uh, she had never had a position like that before. As a matter of fact, the first time she got evaluated in the classroom as a teacher, the evaluators told her, you might want to think about another career. And then, as we saw last year at the Leadership Summit in her brilliant interview, uh, she was yelled at, screamed at, 
maligned, marginalized, but she, she knew what she had to do. She knew what her challenge was. Her challenge was in a world of adult politics, in a world of self-interest, her challenge was to give children a voice, to give children a voice so that they could be honored and respected for the potential that they had to grow and to achieve. And she took on that challenge from 2007 to 2010, and she turned it all around. She turned the city upside down. She turned the system upside down. She had to close schools. She had to fire principals. She had to reduce the administrative workforce from 1,000 to about 500. She said when she reduced it in half like that, everything sort of went a lot smoother and a lot better. She had to, to know who she was and know the challenge that she was given, and then she produced something tangible over a long, slow pull. The key words, I think, for Christians today are the long, slow pull, because we, we tend to live in a culture that wants instant everything. We want things to move quickly. Uh, and as you can see you know, from this economic downturn that we've been in for quite a while now, it's, it's going to take a long, slow pull from here on out to get things done, to get things going in the right direction, to get things worked out the way they're supposed to be worked out. And it's usually the long, slow pull that wins the day. All these kids that are getting ready to, to graduate high school and that are graduating high school and getting ready to, to move out into the workforce coming out of college, those are all long, slow pulls, 18-year pulls, 22-year pulls. And it's those things that, that make all the difference in our lives. It's why we're going back to Togo the end of next month on July 23rd. A group of us will leave to go back to Togo. We were there two years ago, and we went in, and we dug a well, and you saw the, the film of that, and it was amazing. And, and the whole experience was uh, spiritually mind-boggling. But we can't walk away from that. We can't go, okay, we went over there and we did that and that was great and we saw the video and let's go do something else real quick. Boom. No, we've got to go back. We've got to assess the situation with the people who live there. We've got to look at the issues that relate to the long, slow pull of what God would do in the life of the people in those remote villages if somebody were to come into that and say, we're here to work with you. We're here to, to help shape what, whatever God wants to do with you here. It's often what Paul did in these areas. It's, it's reflected in this letter to the Thessalonians. You know, he, he went in and he's like, okay, I'm going to work with you. I'm going to see what God wants to do. You're responsible, but I'm here to coach you. I'm here to mentor you. I'm here to be a part of a long, slow pull. It's a long, slow pull that wins the day. It's a long, slow pull that makes all the difference in life. Where is there a long, slow pull that God is asking you to engage? Uh, that's why we do here to there. Uh, I, I got a letter a couple of months ago. Michael, why are we doing here to there? Why are we doing this? You know, why is this quote, not, not exactly a quote, but paraphrase the whole letter. Why do we have to keep doing this? We've been doing this for a long time. And here's the answer. It's a long, slow pull 
to build a church. It's a long, slow pull to get it all done. And we're going to get it done. But it doesn't happen overnight. It doesn't happen in a decade. It doesn't even happen in two because we're just about to complete two a year from now. But when a bunch of people say, we're not giving up. We're going to get this done. We're going we're to have a church that's going to stand for a long time. Christianity has been a long, slow pull for 2,000 years, and, and that work isn't done yet. There's still all kinds of pressures against the church. There's still all kinds of railing against the idea of a personal God who would come into the world to give his life for humanity. But it's a long, slow pull, and we're not giving up. And everything that we've done, we're not perfect Everything that we've done has been the right thing at the right time for the right reasons. And we're going to keep doing this until we get it done because it's a long, slow pull. It's the only thing that, that works. The hardest thing to do is to commit to the long, slow pull. That's the facts. You want to know why? Because it's so long. Because it's so long. But it's one of the defining characteristics of mature followers of Christ. Mature followers of Christ are just like Paul was. He kept going. He kept writing letters. When things were going wrong, he would write a letter, and he would say, stop doing this. Uh, oftentimes people will say to me, you know, there's, there's stuff going on in the church that shouldn't happen in the church. And, 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 I'll, and I'll say, did you, did you read the New Testament? It's, that's like the story. There's stuff going wrong all the time. And people are having to straighten out their lives. And people are having to get realigned with God's purposes. And, and we got to stop doing this. And we got to start doing that. Um, it's, it's the long, slow pull that makes all the difference in the challenge. The Christian challenges are to produce something tangible from faith. Raise your level of compassion for people in the world who are poor, who are suffering, who are broken, and commit to the long, slow pull. And you don't just do that because you feel like it or because you're a Boy Scout. You do it because these challenges are based on who Jesus was and is. It's based on the facts. The facts really matter. Theme number two, you became imitators of us and of the Lord in spite of severe suffering. You welcomed the message with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. Theme two, suffering is always part of the challenge. Suffering purifies motives and clarifies the truth. Suffering amplifies the sounds of bringing faith and life together. Suffering drives you into God's heart, and his spirit wraps you with a different kind of joy. Brennan Manning wrote in his short little book, The Furious Longing of God, in times of persecution, theoretical Christianity will collapse. Too many of us have received knowledge without appreciation, facts without enthusiasm. Yet when the scholarly investigations were over, we were struck by the insignificance of it all. It just didn't matter. When the night is bad and my nerves are shattered and the waves break over the sides, infinity speaks. God Almighty 
shares through his son the depth of his feelings for me. His love flashes into my soul. I am overtaken by mystery. Johnny Erickson had a, a promising future, and she was 16, 17 years old when in a diving accident she broke her neck and then she was a quadriplegic from that point on. She had grown up as a, as a Christian. She had climbed a mountain right outside of Colorado Springs and, and felt the muscles in her legs burn and she was excited about her life. She was excited about the future. And one of her leaders told her, God has something great for you to do. And so when she was laying in the hospital, completely paralyzed, unable to move anything, she wondered, what is God doing now when you're 17 and everything is like hitting a wall? And one of the most profound talks I've ever heard in my life was given by Johnny Erickson at the Christian Writers Guild Conference in Colorado Springs about eight, 10 years ago. And, and what hit me, I listened to it occasionally and I was listening to it again yesterday, um, what hit me was how she was explaining how God didn't give us the Bible and, and God didn't give us all of this theology so that we would know theology. The theology is a reflection and the Bible is a, ref is a reflection of who he is. And God gave us himself. And so in suffering, God is still giving us himself and he's, he's calling us into relationship with him. He's, he's asking us to, to take our lives and press them into his heart. It's in suffering that you finally understand the relational depth of God's love for you. It's in suffering that you understand the whys and wherefores of your life. It's in suffering that you understand what was sacrificed for you through such great suffering is enough for you to base your suffering on. And, and these, these early Christians had gone through a lot of suffering. It says severe suffering, but they, they opened themselves up to who God is and, uh, and they pressed their lives into him. And the result was that their faith had become known everywhere. Because people are still not you know, hoping you're going to show up with a new theological position that's going to change the whole world. Theological positions, even in Christianity, are, are you know, they're just on all the shelves everywhere, dozens and dozens. Turn around, there's another one tomorrow. There was three yesterday. But people are still hoping that someone who understands suffering will show up somewhere in their lives and help to alleviate that suffering. And when you begin to understand that suffering clarifies and it purifies and it amplifies and it drives you into God's heart, you begin to, to know what Manning is saying. In times of persecution, theoretical Christianity will collapse. All the theories, all the, the different ways of looking at baptism, it all collapses. What matters is, do you know the one who really gave his life for you and are you really giving your life for him? It's not, it's not a religion. It's not a game. And too often people look at it that way. It is real life. The fact is, this is real life. It only comes 
in this one form, which is why I use that, that line in the series, what world are you living in? These people were, were struggling to figure out what world they were living in. Are they living in the world that they see and touch each and every day? You get up and, and you, you, you do your job, or are they living in a world that, that comes from another place? It's a strange world when you live in a world that comes from another place. But it's the truth. That's the way it works. And sometimes when you're in that other world, God sends you a motorcycle escort or God sends a women's SWAT team or God sends something because you're living in that world. Theme three, they tell you, they tell how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. Theme three is everybody wants the challenge of living a life of integrity. Integrity is best shown by what you worship and how you serve. Essentially, these people didn't let the wrong things get in the way of the right things. They had lived that life before where they let the wrong things get in the way, but now they figured it out because of the revelation of Jesus Christ and they stopped doing that. They didn't let the wrong things get in the way of the right things. One of the hardest things to do is to take an inventory of your life to see what is most important to you and how you can tell that it's most important to you. The most important things in your life are the things you spend most of your time, energy, and resources on. And so as you look at what you spend most of your time, energy, and resources on, what does it say about not letting the wrong things get in the way of the right things? You have to do that work. They tell how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. Theme number four comes out of 2 Thessalonians. Actually, from the second chapter of 1 Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 2, 19 and 20. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. There's nothing more personal that you'll ever read in the Bible than, than those few sentences there. For what is our hope, our joy? Is it not you? You are our glory and joy. Theme number four is everybody wants a challenge that will make everything they ever did worthwhile. That challenge is what you're pouring yourself into right now. Everybody wants a challenge that will make everything that they ever did worthwhile. That, that one thing that you go, this is what I gave my life to. This is what I really lived for. So what is it that you're pouring yourself into right now? Indeed, you are our glory and joy, Paul says, because they poured themselves into Christ, into what he was asking them to do, into what he was calling them to live. So there's some questions when you come to the end of a, a letter like this, a chapter of a letter. What's the long, slow pull you need to commit to? Where is suffering driving you into God's heart? 
How is his love flashing into your soul? How do you worship and serve the living and true God? What would your life inventory reveal? What would your life inventory say about what you're really giving yourself to? And what are you pouring yourself into right now? What is it that you're saying, if this one thing survives at the end of my life, my life has been worthwhile. Everything I've done is going to culminate in this. I've learned that facts don't matter. Facts are an inconvenient impediment to the endless stream of conjecture and blather. Not true. Facts do matter. And everybody wants a challenge. So what's your challenge? What's your long, hard pull? What are you pouring everything into? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thanks for Paul and his heart and his life and what he gave himself to. And Father, we see now clearly 2,000 years later that he, he gave himself for you and for the church that you began. So allow us to hear his words and allow us to hear his heart and allow us to be that church that he poured himself into. Allow us to be his glory and his joy. For we ask all these things in Jesus' name.